So we are doing a, a study today. I'm calling today's study in night school with Jesus. Um, because the miracle that we looked at last week, we started our miracle series in John chapter 2, first miracle Jesus ever did, where he turned water into wine and he blew everybody's mind. And I'd ask you, how big can you dream? And you saw that the, the little couple had not even dreamed of having a wedding with that good of resources, that much great wine. And yet when Jesus got involved, it turned into this magnificent thing. And uh, we talked about willing and obedient servants and how that works. But then last week we talked about this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the loaves. And uh, it's where Jesus has a crowd of people around him, 10,000, 15,000 people. And there's a guy named Philip uh, sitting on a rock in my picture. He's sitting on a rock next to Jesus when these people start showing up at the retreat uh, wilderness area. And remember, Jesus asked him an impossible question. The question is impossible. Philip, John chapter 6. Philip, verse 6. Where can we buy bread for these people? There is nowhere, Philip. It doesn't exist on the planet at the time. You wouldn't feed 20,000 people from buying bread. That 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 time period doesn't have that option. Um, now, maybe today you could run down to Smith's Bakery and say, hey, and I'm going to be there in 15 minutes. I need bread for 20,000 people. And they'd go, hey, we'll just crank it out and go, you know, kind of deal. That's not going to happen in Philip's day. And so Jesus asked him an impossible question. It's really important. It's an impossible question. But who's sitting next to Philip? Who's sitting next to him? Say it out loud. I got to know you're paying attention. I'm going to start over. So, right? Jesus. And Jesus is the answer. We studied this last week. We said that life is full of unanswerable questions. Life's tasks are often too big. It's all review from last week. Life's tasks are too big. Jesus is the answer and Jesus always completely satisfies when you use Him as the answer in your life. And when you don't, you come up short. Now, the disciples spent the whole afternoon because Philip answered the question wrong. And remember, we, he had help. He had the guys in school with him around Jesus. John 6, 6 says, This Jesus said to Philip in order to test him. It's like pop quiz. And Philip failed the pop quiz because he got the answer wrong. Because he said, well, we don't have enough money. Well, you're looking at the wrong resource. The right resource is sitting next to you, not knucklehead. So, so here's what Philip does. Um, he spends the rest of the afternoon at Jesus' uh, command taking it food to people all over this mountainside it's jesus at the bottom of the hill and the mountain the hillside goes up so he's walking uphill with baskets of food putting it in front of 50 and 100 people at a time and they're having an all-you-can-eat buffet i can't stand to eat any more thing happening and when philip has an empty basket he now has to turn around and go back to jesus where can we buy bread? Oh yeah, Jesus, that's where we get our stuff from. That's where all of life's resources come from. And by the way, it's an all-you-can-eat, fully satisfied deal. So Philip spent his whole afternoon doing that. So did the other 12 disciples. Each disciple would have probably had to, assuming all the people were lazy enough to not, not help, and surely there were some that helped, but he would have, they would have had to serve almost a thousand people each food. That's a lot of waitressing, Lisa. Lisa used to waitress. That's a lot of waitressing. I'm telling you, those of us that worked in restaurant business, you don't even dream of a thousand people in an afternoon coming through your restaurant. I mean, that's just insanity. 
And here's, here's Jesus helping the disciples get their head around. I am the answer. But something about that afternoon they didn't connect with. And so Jesus now going to put them in a second situation. We're going to call this the impossible. That was the impossible meal. Impossible question. And now Jesus is going to put them in an impossible situation um, because they didn't get it all just right. It's, it's an impossible mission. Jesus says, Matthew 14, let's turn there first. Remember I told you you got to ha- have your hands in several places. So Matthew 14, 22, it says these words. And immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, and he, while he sent the multitudes away. After he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. And so I just call this section the plan of Christ. We've had an afternoon of high service. All these people, 20,000 people showed up at your retreat. You were retreating with Jesus. Birds were chirping. Jesus was telling those stories. And all of a sudden, there's this crowd coming over the hill, mumbling and talking and interrupts your retreat. And Jesus goes, hey, we're going we're gonna to feed them and I'm going to talk to them. And so they take care of that. And Jesus gets the disciples to feed them. Then he says, I'm going to send them away. You guys get in a boat and go to the other side. In the King James, it says in uh, John, in Matthew 14, 22, King James says Jesus constrained them. And the, the, the original language means he literally forced them, forced them to get in the boat and go to the other side, which means they resisted, right? Which means they went, you got to be kidding me. I'm exhausted. We've been working all afternoon. Can't we sleep here and then go there tomorrow? I mean, that's a, we got to, we actually got to get the boat out and get it in the, that's so exhausting. Lord, can't we just stay here? But it says Jesus insisted, insisted. Uh, my, the New American Standard just says he made them. But it's actually a word that means after they wrestled with him, he just kept saying, get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, here's Jesus' plan. Okay, Very important you write the plan down. Jesus' plan, the disciples are to get in the boat and go to the other side. They're to get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, where are they going? Say it out loud. Where are they going? That's right. That's where Jesus says they're going. Okay? Here they go. Number two, Jesus sent the multitudes away. He sent the multitudes away. Number three, he had a solitary time of prayer. This is all his plan. He had a, he had a multitude sent away, which means he had a little talk with them, and then he sent them away and said, y'all need to go back home now. You know, I'll come, probably come back to your town in a few weeks or whatever. But he's giving them some sort of encouragement and then sending 20,000 people back around. Remember, they, they, were, they went around the end of the sea there, and then now they've got to go back around the other way to their little homes. And so Jesus sends them away. Then Jesus had a time of solitary prayer, which is actually quite beautiful because Jesus is an intercessor for us. He's always praying for our lives and for his life to glorify God, um, which he's doing this very night. Here's a couple of interesting little facts that you learn when you put all three of these stories, John 6, Mark 6, and Matthew 14 are all the same story. When you put them together, there's only one boat, right, on the sea. There's only one boat, and the disciples took it. And Jesus is praying and planning on meeting them on the other side. How's he going to do that? Well, he's going to go for a little jog. Early in the morning, he's going to jog across the sea, 
This is when they're going to see him in a few minutes. Some of y'all know the story. But he has a plan. Listen, Jesus has a plan, and he's given the disciples the instructions. I just want this to settle with you, because here's where I'm saying as a church, as individual Christians, just as individuals, we struggle. We forget he has a plan. And sometimes we try to create all our own plans, and we try to twist and work things out and oh we got to force this and make this happen and the whole time jesus is going got a plan here's the plan i need you guys to get in the boat and go to this side well i don't want to go to that side i need you guys to get in the boat and go to this side i need you to get in the boat and go to this side jesus has a plan his plan is always for our good for god's glory and for us to grow his plan is for us to grow up and this is a big time growth. That's why I'm calling this night school with Jesus, because he's fixing to school the daylights out of these guys. See, they didn't, it actually says in Mark chapter four, it actually says they did not understand the miracle of the loaves. Now they acted it out, but it just didn't register what was happening. It didn't register that Jesus had all this resource available to him and that he was the one with the plan. It didn't register when Philip was sitting next to Jesus. It didn't register with Philip to go, Oh, I don't know how to do this, but I bet you do. That didn't register. So Jesus goes, all right, we're going to stay up and go to school tonight. Nobody's going to bed. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Get in the boat, go to the other side. That's the plan, right? Jesus has a plan. And by the way, while we're obeying his plan, he's praying. Man, could you ask for a better Savior He's not just a Savior that says, hey, I'm going to die on the cross for you, and then good luck with that. That's not who Christ is at all. The most beautiful thing that you'll find about Christ is He wants to be personally involved in every little thing that happens in your life. You're not by yourself. If you by yourself, you're not following the plan. You are following your plan and waiting on Jesus to catch up with you. I don't want you to amen that, but I want you to hear it again, okay? If you're not feeling that Jesus is with you, guess who moved? Guess who left? We tend to get our plan going and saying, hey, Jesus, would you bless my plan? That's real easy to do. This is my plan for my life. This is my choice for my career. This is my goal for my family. This is my plan. And, and literally, Jesus is going, not my plan. The great plan is over here with me. Do what I said, follow me, and I will help you. That's the great plan. But we tend to miss that. So I just want you to hear real clear, first point, Jesus has a plan for every one of you, a personal plan. He has a personal plan for every day of your life. Get on his plan. One of the best things you can do is get up in the morning and read your Bible for a few minutes, read some scripture, and say, Lord, what's the plan today? What's your plan? For my life today. I, and you'll know, I, Lord, I've got all these things I have to get done today. Part of my work, part of my family stuff. I've got to, you know, go do this and go to this place and do this and take this person to school. I've got to do all these little plans, right? I got This is my day, but the Lord knows that. So in all of this stuff I'm going to naturally be doing, what's your plan, Lord? Just ask him every morning, what's your plan for me today? And see if he'll tell you. Listen for his voice. Listen for his guidance. Listen... Listen for conversations that start up when you're on your plan and you just get interrupted somewhere. And you realize, you know what, this interruption is actually a thing God's involved me in now. And I have to help. All right, so here's the problem with following Jesus. Because the guys did it. They got in the boat. They were constrained to get in the boat. But they got in the boat. Mark chapter 6, verse 24 says, 
But the boat was already many stadia away from the land. It was battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. That's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, by the way. The fourth watch of the night, um, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. See, he was planning on just meeting them on the other side. And he's just walking by. He's just going to cruise right by them. Now, let me just go back real quick. Jesus' instructions to them, because it was his plan, get in the boat and, say it, go to the other side. There's a verse in, in the context of all this where it says they were actually rowing against that plan. They were trying to turn around. They're, they're not following the plan. They're in a storm. Here's the biggest problem with following Jesus is storms are going to happen. Storm, sometimes it is God's will and purpose for us to row right into the middle of a great big storm. Jesus isn't afraid of storms and he isn't afraid for you to be in storms. Do you know that? Storms don't bother him. And we're his children. And he's not afraid of big storms when he's the protector in it. And when you're in his plan, in a big storm, in a big storm, when you're in his plan, you're going to get where he's intended for you to go. You're going to accomplish what he's intended for you to accomplish. Um, there's a, the boat was battered by the waves and the disciples were rowing against the storm. So here's what's happening. They're struggling with those oars and they're going nowhere. Does that feel like a little bit of life for you? Struggling, Lord, I'm struggling so hard, but we're just going nowhere. We're not getting, making any progress here. And the water's bashing against us, and we're all getting soaking wet. It's the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the dark, in the middle of a storm. It's a rough place. It's a bad storm, by the way. So we wrestle and we struggle against storms of life. We fight to keep things afloat in the midst of all this trouble in our lives, whether it's family issues or crisis or personal crisis or work issues. We have all these storms that come battering in on us. We don't know how we're going to handle those. And here it says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus just walks by. He's just walking on the water. I think that's awesome, by the way. It's not very complicated for him. It's, it's confusing to us. But it's not complicated for him. He is the maker of all things. He's the God of wonders. He made the land and the sea. He can walk on anytime he wants. In a storm, by the way. So he's just walking along. He's just walking along. Then we find the disciples in great fear. That makes a little sense, doesn't it? They're in great fear. They got two things to fear, by the way. The storm, which is tough. They're having a tough time in the storm. And then they see what they think the Bible says is a ghost on the water. That would be this figure that they can see. Now, I need you to picture it a little bit, kind of get your movie magic going, but you've got to eliminate some of the Hollywood version of this. There's no lights on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. There's not a movie set with a big boat that's got lights on it that's going to shine out there. They have, no, they have lanterns. I'm pretty sure those are hard to operate in a storm that's battering the boat. Probably not a good time to try to get a lantern going. Pretty sure a lantern's light lights about, oh, this far too. So you're just struggling, okay? You can't see anything, and there's waves cresting on this sea. Waves are going up and down, up and down. And in between the waves and the, there's lightning and storm happening. In between that, way out on the sea somewhere, you see this little figure. And you only see it when it lightens or when there's some sort of flash. 
in the distance. And you're like, did you see that? I don't know. I didn't see anything. You see it? What are you talking about? And then pretty soon everybody's getting their eyes trying to focus and fix out there. And pretty soon four or five of the guys have seen it. And now there's panic. There's like, there's a guy. There's somebody out there. Well, in that culture, in that culture, which not much different than our culture, I guess, today, it had to be an aberration. It had to be a spirit. Nobody walks on water. Nobody can be standing out there in the middle of the storm like that. You know, what is going on out there? So here is where the fears kick into high gear. And I want you to understand this. Okay, this may be one of the coolest things you can think about this week. Jesus didn't stop the storm when he sensed their fears. He didn't. The storm was part of the plan. Remember he constrained them to get in the boat and go to the other side? You think when they got in the boat and started rowing, he's like, "Uh uh-oh, there's going to be a storm. I didn't know that. I'm God. (laughs) No, he's not shocked by that. He sent them into that storm. And he sent them to go to the other side. Here's your plan, guys. Get on to the other side. Going to be a little rough rowing, by the way. He didn't tell them that. Just go to the other side. Go to the other side. Go to the other side. And here they are rowing against it and straining. And Jesus is walking by. And they're very afraid. And so the minute he sensed their fears, he could have said, all right, peace be still. Here we go. Guys, what is wrong with y'all? I try to tell you to go to the other side and you just don't get it. You know, you're just slow. That's it. You're just slow. A bunch of slow. Remember my term for them is gooberhead. You're just a bunch of gooberhead disciples. What's wrong with you guys? You know, knuckleheads. Come on. That's not what he does. He leaves the storm intact while Peter calls out to him, Matthew 14, verse 28. You got your finger in Matthew or somehow in your texting thingy there. You got it. Matthew 14, 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Peter, Jesus calls out to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter's like, well, Lord, if that's you and you can walk on water, command me to come to you and I'll, I'll sort this out. Pete, now, by the way, beloved Peter, okay, we believe he has the Brandon ADHD issues going on, okay? We believe he's actually enormously filled with that. If you study Peter's life, he talks before he thinks um, and he runs in where angels fear to tread. He charges in, okay? John the Beloved, in the movie John the Beloved, he calls him a walking bundle of outrageous extremes. That's an excellent description of Peter, okay? Just a walking bundle of outrageous extremes. He just charges right in. So here he is in a boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the worst storm he's experienced in a long time, and Jesus is walking on the water, he thinks, because Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter goes, well, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus goes, come on. I, I think he said, come on, big boy. <laughs> that's just... That's the Stan Givens Southern Boy translation. Come on, big boy. Get out of the boat. And that's when I think Peter's brain went, engage. Huh? Huh? Get out of the what? In a storm? See, Peter was a fisherman. He was raised as a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. His grandfather was a fisherman. When Peter was in a bassinet as a toddler, about the size of Herschel, okay, they've got him in a boat, rocking back and forth, fishing with dad and granddad. You know, so mom could have a little time out. Peter knows water, man. Peter's been fishing all his life. He's been on the seashore when big storms hit and they all come rushing back in in their boats and all the fishermen pull their boats up into the, to the sand as far as they'll go and they rush up to this thing and they're like, hey man, 
Where's Thomas? Thomas's boat's not here yet. I don't know. He was, he was on the other side of that storm. I don't know. You know, and then later they can't find Thomas anywhere. And Thomas doesn't exist anymore because Thomas drowned in a storm. Peter's lived through a bunch of that. He's heard his dad and granddad tell all the stories of what to do in a storm. The last thing you want to do in a storm in a boat is get out of the boat. Because the only thing that floats, by the way, in that day, there's no personal flotation devices or none of that happening. The only thing that's afloat is the boat. And you don't want to be in a storm, right, Mr. Coast Guard? We don't want to be out in the water. That's a bad plan. It's a really bad plan. So here's Peter telling Jesus, well, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come on. Now Peter's got to eat his words or live out his words. To live out his words, he's got to exercise some faith. And so what Peter does is he puts his hands on the bow of that boat, which is in a storm. So it's up and down, crashing in the waves, big swells and back down. Puts his hand on that bow. He swings one leg over and he puts his foot. I'm guessing he doesn't have his sandals on, but who knows? I hate to lose a sandal in the ocean like that. But So he swings his foot out and puts his foot on swelling water that you can stand on. That's a little different, isn't it? Because Peter's never stood on water. When he was a little kid, when he was playing at the beach, it's kind of like when y'all are at the beach. When you walk out into the beach water, the water comes up. Your feet stay on the sand, don't they? That's pretty much how it works every time for everybody. For all of eternity that we know of, except for this moment right here. Because Jesus is taking Peter to school. And he's taking the other disciples to school. And he says, get out of the boat, come to me. So Peter obeys and he puts his foot on the water and he begins to walk. He begins to walk toward Jesus. Don't miss that. A man. A man like me and you, Mike, like you. A man, a man like you, Larry and Michael and, and John. A man. A man, Danny. Stood on a raging sea and walked on top of it because Jesus said he could. You think, you think that's a little schooling moment right there? I think Peter's doing a little surfing going, whoa, like this is weird, freaking me out weird. Something's different about all this. And Jesus is teaching them. And it says, Jesus said, Peter come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus in the storm. When did Peter walk on water? In the storm. You know why Jesus puts us in storms? You know why He's allowing storms in our lives? So we'll, we'll grow. So our faith will grow. We don't grow when it's easy, by the way. Life, life's not supposed to be easy. Man, please, you millennials, get that out of your head. Life is not supposed to be easy. Peter walked on the water in the rough sea moments. So you... And I can learn. So you can say to your friend, hey, you can walk on water in rough seas. You can obey Jesus and walk above the crisis. And it's not going to be easy and it's going to take an enormous amount of faith. And by the way, you're going to have to throw away a lot of things you learned because Peter learned as a child, don't ever get out of the boat. Peter learned as a child, the dumbest thing you can do is get out of the boat in the middle of the storm, middle of the night, in the middle of the city of Galilee. It's a dumb thing. He had to throw all that away and go, but Jesus said. 
And so by faith, he steps out and he begins to walk on this water. He begins to walk on the water in the rough storm, not the calm storm. Cody even prayed it this morning when we were talking about it in our prayer circle. And then Peter fell while he was walking. That's not the best part of the story, is it? But here's a cool thing. Look at what it says. Verse 30, Matthew 14, verse 30. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. Remember that other thing we were talking about being the fear that happens in, in the storms? There's a fear that happens. When you're following Christ and those storms come, if you let your fears get a hold of you and you lose sight of Christ, things aren't going to go like you wanted them to go anymore. And they're definitely not going to be um, the kind of thing God intended. Seeing the wind and he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Seeing the wind and beginning to sink. Does it say he sank? No. You know what all the texts say? He was beginning to sink. And while he's beginning to sink, he cried. It's probably one of the coolest prayers in the Bible. It's real short because you got, you got a limited amount of time. Okay, Lord, save me. Real fast. Got to just get that out there. And then it says, here's these words, Matthew 14. And immediately Jesus' hand was on him. Now I'm just going to give you the graphic for a minute. Okay, If Peter left a boat and he's walking towards Jesus, and if Peter has walked so far that Jesus is as close as Cody on the front row, if I'm walking towards Jesus, and I'm Peter, and I'm right here, do you think I'm afraid anymore? Because I've walked from the boat, which is like in the backyard of the church, to here. Do you think I'm afraid? I got this, man. I'm right here with Jesus. My focus is good. I guarantee you, we'll see the video in heaven, I guarantee you Peter's halfway or a little bit less. And he's a long way away. I think he, he's realizing, I've walked a long way from the boat. It's too far to swim. I'm a good swimmer because I'm a seaman. That's a long way to swim in a storm. And that's still a long way to go. That's the part of our spiritual journey, by the way, that gets really hard. We still have a long way to go. And we put a lot of miles behind us. And that's when the enemy gets us and our minds get all afraid and we start looking at the storm, not the Savior. The storm, not the Savior. And that's when we get in trouble. And that's when Peter gets in trouble. But here's what happens. And I'm just going to back up to the wall and say it's probably twice or three times the distance of me and Cody. If I'm beginning to sink right here, okay, how long do how long you think my 240-pound body is going to take to sink? How long does it take me to sink in water if the water's not holding me up anymore? How long? There you go. That's how long it takes me to sink. It doesn't say Peter ever sank. It says he was beginning to sink and immediately Jesus' hand was on him. Now, how did that happen? Because Jesus isn't right here. If Jesus is right here, I'm okay. Jesus is a long ways away. And this is that little Star Trek moment where I say, the Star Trek thing where he just beams from here to here. Jesus went from there to here to help the guy that was trying to walk. Because he's in school. And he didn't do so good in school. He got part of it going. He did walk on water. Pretty cool. But then he got in trouble. And so Jesus reached out his hand and immediately caught Peter and pulled him up. Now I guarantee you Peter's hanging on to Jesus like a 
a buoy. He's got his arms wrapped around him. He's hugging him. He's not going to let go because he's Jesus on the water and Peter's having trouble staying on the water. So now, you know, I'm going to hold on to you and I'm not letting go. And then Jesus says these words. Peter, why is it you have? Why, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? School time, Peter. It's interesting to me. Jesus never calmed that storm yet. He's going to calm the storm in a minute. He still hasn't calmed the storm. They're bouncing up and down in the raging storm. That's when Jesus wants to teach the lesson. And it actually says, Jesus asked him, how is it you have such little faith? Now, if I'm Peter, there's a little flesh moment in me, but if I'm Peter, I'm going to point to 11 guys that never got out of a boat and go, hey, me, little faith? I think their faith is way littler because they're back there screaming their lungs out like you're a ghost still. They're afraid to death. They think you just swallowed me like a ghost because when you can't, whatever you just did freaked them and me out. So, you know, they're all shouting like my Peter's brother's on the boat. You know, he's like, Dad's going to kill us, man. Get back in the boat. You know, what are you doing? You know, he's never going to let me live through this. You know, and here's Peter just walking away from the boat. And all of a sudden he goes down and all of a sudden the ghost goes right to him. You know that's got them all. And so if I'm Peter, when you call me the guy of little faith, I'm pointing at the 11 going, hmm, little, check those guys out, man. They're not out of the boat. At least I walked. That's not what Jesus wants Peter to think, though, is it? Jesus wants to take Peter right where he is and goes, you know, you could have made the whole journey. Why didn't you just walk all the way to me, Peter? Why did you fail at something you already started in your faith journey? You started in faith. You didn't have to fail because all you had to do is keep your eyes on me. That's all you had to do. Just keep your eyes on me. And we were good. We were locked together and you were walking to me. Then you started looking at the storm. So there's the schooling moment, right, for Peter. Tremendous schooling moment. Now there's five miracles that occur in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the storm. There's five miracles. It actually says in Matthew 28, it says when Jesus got into the boat, the wind stopped. That's when the storm calmed down, when Jesus got in the boat with them. He wanted them in the storm. Once he gets in the boat with them, he's like, well, now that I'm here, we'll just go in the calm because I've already got a school, y'all. And I promise you, they had some long talks about this deal. And then John chapter 6, 21 says, and the boat was immediately on land where it was going. So in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea of Galilee, in the middle of the storm, Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. That's a pretty big miracle. Jesus rescued Peter somehow miraculously from this closing that distance in an impossible amount of time. Jesus rescued Peter. Jesus calmed the storm. And then Jesus put the boat right where it was supposed to go. And it says when they got on land, by the way, they fell down and worshipped him. No kidding. Really. Fell down and worshipped him. So here's what you can grab from all that. They actually said, Matthew 14, 33, they said, You are certainly the Son of God. Yes. You are certainly God's Son. So let me give you a couple of lessons. Jesus puts us in storms so we can experience the power of Christ. So we can experience His power. And His power does several things. It's the power to compel ordinary men to do extraordinary things. One of those men stood in our pulpit last week. 
The power to compel ordinary men to do extraordinary things. If you're ordinary, would you raise your hand? Man or woman. Well, here we are, a room full of ordinaries. If we will follow Jesus, there's nothing ordinary about all this, though. We're extraordinary. That's what he did. There was a man named Wesley Hopkins and his mom, Faye, and his wife, Esther. Did I get that right? His wife, Esther. Those are ordinary people. Ordinary people. He went to high school like you. He went to elementary school like you. And they're serving on a mission field that's literally life-threatening today. Life-threatening. They can't answer your phone if you don't know the phone number because of the cartel down there. He's an ordinary guy that's helped him and his dad and family planted six churches. Those churches are sending missionaries out to Mexico. That's an ordinary guy doing extraordinary work. And by the way, there's a whole list of missionaries on our missionary list doing exactly that kind of stuff. Jesus has the power to care for his own in the midst of the storm. Here's a great life lesson for you. He can care for his own in the midst of a storm. Be careful. There's a whole other story. Some of you studied it with me in, in uh, our Bible study methods class. whole other story where the disciples wake Jesus up in a storm and say, Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And Jesus is like, The last person you need to accuse of not caring would be me. Jesus will care for his own midst storm. Jesus gives us the power to, he has the power to perform five miracles when you only needed one. All they needed was rescuing from the storm. Actually, all they needed was to obey and get to the other side. The goal. Jesus' goal was for them to go to the other side. But he's put them in school. Jesus is not restricted by the laws of this world, so please don't restrict him. I've had people say, well, it just that's impossible. Have you read your Bible? There's a lot of impossible that God does for his people. We, as a church, have a ton of impossible things that we can list that have happened in and among our congregation right here. It's impossible. That's impossible, but it happened. It's impossible, but it happens. That's why Jesus put them in an impossible. He asked them an impossible question. They struggled with that, so he had them feed a bunch of people. Then he says, well, I'm going to give you an impossible mission. How about go to the other side? If you don't get the impossible question, I'm going to put you in an impossible mission. Go to the other side. You know, I'm not going to get, you're not getting there either. I see you rowing backwards, so I'm going to come by and help you. And then I'm going to school you really hard. He's never far from us. Jesus is never far from us. He's committed to our peace. Remember he said... Peace be with you. I'm here. He asked us to do impossible things. If you're a Christian, you're going to be asked to do impossible things. If God's not asking you to do something impossible, you need to listen harder. I'm telling you. You're supposed to do impossibly hard things like talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Well, that's hard. That's really impossible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Make it happen. Because Jesus says we are people of the impossible. We do the impossible all the time. He's asked you, uh, Jesus is able to rescue immediately when it's necessary. He's capable of calming storms. He's not limited by time and space. And he does his greatest work for you and me and his greatest teaching for you and me in storms. You know why you've been through hard storms? Why we've lost loved ones? You know why you have ailments? You know why you have conflicts that are just painful? So we will grow. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. By the way, you need people around you to help you see some of that sometimes. You need people to hold on to to help you see that. That's why we're going to launch the, the growth group kickoff is today. And we're having the launch party here in just a few minutes. We want you to be sure you're signed up in a growth group because the people around you can help you get through your storms. 
through your storms. How many of you would like help getting through your storms? Well, that's what growth groups do, by the way. They help you get through storms. Matthew, here's the proclamation, Matthew 14, 33. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Mark 6. They were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, they moored to the shore. Matthew 14 says, When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were on the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Here's the proclamation you're supposed to make about Jesus. He is the Son of God and He will help you in every storm. There's no need to doubt Him or wonder. And when you're in a storm, guess who you need to turn to? And listen for the words of His plan. Listen to what His plan was all along. See, when the Lord called me to go to ministry, go into ministry at 17 years old right here at this altar as a young kid at this altar is where I knelt to do that. God's plan was me to go into ministry. There was no funds for that. I didn't know Bible college cost $5,000 a semester back then. Nobody told me that. Nor did I read it in the writing that I should have read in Southeastern. I just know when I went through my line and got my paper in Birmingham, it said in a few months I owe them $5,000. What? Huh? That's, how is that going to happen? And yet every semester, miraculously, by working as a custodial at two churches, sometimes three churches, cutting grass and helping people do things. You know, I made like 450 bucks for the semester and miraculously at the end of the semester, somehow my bills got paid. Somehow. It was an impossible situation that was God's plan and He had it all figured out and I just had to follow. You have to follow His plan. We have to learn to follow His plan. And I'm challenging you today to go to night school with Jesus, be willing to be in night school when it's necessary, but follow His plans. Don't make your own plans. Follow His plans. Amen?